EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Time for Inside EMS. Summer's in full swing. Hopefully, you're having a good one. You're keeping it safe, and uh, fun is on the horizon. I gotta tell you, we're very, very close to fall, and uh, you know what that means: 142 sleeps until Christmas morning. But <laughs> with me always is our resident Santa, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? Ho ho ho! <laughs> That's right, man. 142 really- sleeps. Don't forget. Yeah, shine man, gets I, I, shine gets a present I, this year. By the time by the time Christmas rolls around, I, I hope to look decidedly unsanta like. I'm uh, oh, good, man. Uh, good. I'm not losing as weight as quickly as I'd hope, but then again, I'm not working as hard at it as I have in the past. I'm kind of not been as draconian as I have in the past. But well, get on that, man. Get on that. I saw a Facebook video the other night of uh, not only were you drinking beer, but you're letting that dog slobber out of that bottle. That's right, man. Well, that's his name, Shine Arbach. Uh, that's a, that's his namesake. Right, um, you should look at, at you should look at my dog's Facebook page and look at the photo of him as a puppy carrying a Shinerbach bottle around. We are uh, we are uh, friends. Me and Shine are friends. That's right. But uh, you know, I haven't been as draconian at it. But I'm down 45 pounds since January the fifth. Oh, awesome, uh, man, that's great. Though. I, oh, I could I could lose a lot more than that, a lot quicker. But um, I just uh, I have a girlfriend who is a gourmet chef and and insists on spoiling me rotten and and uh, plus I, I my work environment is not really conducive to me uh, uh, practicing the best eating habits. But I'm I'm going to get on it. By, just because by Christmas, just by Christmas because. I'm going to be not maybe not svelte. But I will look decidedly different than I looked in January. Oh, good, man. We're gonna, I hope that's true for you, man. We want you around for a long yeah. time. But just because you put ranch dressing on everything doesn't make you a gourmet chef. I just want <laughs> you to know that. So. Well, no, no. That's my version. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Nancy uh, is truly a gourmet chef. Oh, well, good. You're uh, going to have to cook for us then. But That's just one of those things, man. But, um, yeah, the, there's Christmas coming up, and, and Kilted to Kick Cancer is less than oh, 30 days start? away. 30 days. September 1. September 1, brother. Uh, uh, we're getting the uh, the campaign, 2017 campaign, kicked off in, in uh, less than 30 days. So, uh, well, maybe we could do a show uh, with those folks, you know, get somebody else on, and we, we'll we're, we are going to support Jason Team Kelly. Uh, and, uh, but, um, you going to wear a kilt for the podcast? Uh, you know what? Maybe just a dress. I don't know that I have a kilt. You got to join us, man, for the month of September. Uh, I don't have a kilt, man. I'm Italian. I don't have a kilt. Go, go buy one. Well, hell, then then yank a checkered tablecloth off the table at your favorite <laughs> Italian restaurant. Nice. <laughs> you know what? I, you that's know, the second. That is tar- the second Italian pun you've done this week. I didn't like the first one. I'm not happy about the second one. But anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and get into the show, man. Break the unbifurcated lifestyle, Chris. You'll you'll love it. You know, so a couple weeks ago, Kelly, we we were on the roll. We were talking about you know giving out a good patient exam. And you and I got onto the discussion about skills degradation and how skills Mm -hmm. deteriorate without use. And, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a sidebar and that discussion was that 
does that really exist? And you said, well, there's proof that it really exists. So I thought it would be a really good show to talk about, you know, that process of how our skills deteriorate. Because, you know, I said it to you before we started recording, you know, I haven't intubated somebody probably in three years. And I feel comfortable that if I've got to take my Miller 3 and put it into somebody's mouth, that I'd be able to intubate them without a problem. Secondarily, I don't know that I'm going to have a challenge putting an IV in somebody after three years. Now, how do I get, how did I get there? Is it that, you know, because you made the mention that, you know, we're kind of outliers and how we've grown our skills and we grow our business and how we're talking about, uh, um, you know, our skills confidence. Mm-hmm. But then, they, then the question poses, well, how does everybody get to be that way? But I'd like to know what you think about it. Well, I think skills degradation is a is a thing, uh, and and we are subject to it to varying degrees. Um, the question is, is how much have you practiced things and and practice a psychomotor skill, not just the 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 application, the rote application of the psychomotor skill, but internalize the thought processes that lead to applying it appropriately in the first place. Uh, and I think that plays a big role in in skills degradation. Uh, I forget who it was that said that a, a, a amateur practices until he gets it right and a professional practices until he can't get it wrong. Um, and some of us, no no slight on them, are, are still amateurs at the game. Um, they've practiced until they got it right, uh, but they don't know yet um, just how uh, how prone to degradation those skills are and they haven't internalized all the thought processes that go into it. Um, so... I think even you or I, if we were to step away from what we're doing and, and come back three, four years later and try to start an IV or intubate someone, our skills are going to be less than they are, uh, less proficient than they are now. Um, maybe not for all of the most difficult or, or, or for the garden variety IV start or the garden variety intubation when somebody is a malampotty one or two or, or that sort of thing. But for the more difficult ones, we tend to revert to to our base level of, of psychomotor skills. Um, so we, we forget all the little nuances and all the little tips and tricks, and we tend to tunnel vision on things. And, and, and our thought processes, more than anything else, degrade. We get hurried and rushed and that sort of thing. It takes us a while for us to get back in the group. But I, I think that the concept of skills degradation and rust out is a, is a realistic thing uh, in, in EMS. And you see it just pretty much anywhere you go where, where people don't get to practice a skill uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think that the, the answer to the question I want to know is why does that happen? You know, one of the things that I, I was thinking about as you were talking was several things, but related to the topic was, you know, when does it become second nature enough that if you get on a bike, you're going to be able to ride a bike? Or, you know, if you're going to go ahead and pick up a bat and, and play softball, you know, how, how, you know, how isn't it, you know, like it's second nature. So you and I, we talked about skills, uh, uh, developing our psychomotor skills a few shows back. And we talked about where we go from imitation all the way up to synthesis of, of how we take that skill and really kind of make it our own. And I think the questions that I asked you for both intubation and IV was, are you doing an intubation and are you placing an IV the same way you were taught when you were in paramedic school? And, and this really is just any skill. We're not talking about the advanced ALS skills, but in theory, we're talking about backboarding. We're talking about yeah. head. We're talking about uh, traction splinting. We're talking about all the skills that we do. And, you know, when's the last time you put a traction splint on somebody? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. 
you know, but I think that there is a separation from beginning to learn the psychomotor skill and imitating what your instructor is telling you and then moving up to the synthesis or the application of how you're really making that skill your own. And I'll give you an example. Like when it comes to intubation, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out for me the best way that there is to intubate. Now, one of the things that I started to do later in my career and that I started to teach in paramedic school is we're taught that as we put the blade into the mouth, we sweep the tongue to the left and we get into the vallecula and we lift and we're able to see the vocal cords and put it through. Now, one of the challenges, as I mentioned, I was using the, the Miller 3. I always found that I was short of the vallecula. So I, w- I was just now kind of inching my way in until I finally got there. And I'm saying, what is it that I'm doing or what is it that I can do that would make a difference that would get me deeper into the throat? And one of the things I started doing was instead of putting the blade in on the right side of the mouth and sweeping left, I started to slide the blade in from the left corner of the mouth into the right corner of the jaw. And then I would straighten the blade out, and I was always in the vallecula. So instead of doing what we were told to do, to go in and sweep, I kind of guided it in from corner to corner, and then straightened out, and I was always in. So, But I took the time to kind of learn how to manipulate that skill to make it easier for me to do. So... As you start to think about that and as you start to learn the malampatis and the lemons and the you know whatever it is that you're you're going to talk about or whatever skill it is doesn't that bring you to a level of confidence that lets you know that every time you try to do that skill not that you're going to be successful cuz I can't tell you that I've been successful on every intubation or whatever we're going to talk about but that you have the confidence that you know the landmarks you know the anatomy you know the equipment and you can do the job it should bring a level of confidence. Problem is, is, is what our concept of knowing how to do the job is and, and this false sense of security and this false confidence that we will sometimes get. And, and using one of your, uh, using something like, say, spinal immobilization as an example. I can put on a KED in my sleep. Um, question is, should I be putting on a KED at all? Um, I can do spinal immobilization uh, and, and do it with relatively little manipulation. Question is, should we do, be doing spinal immobilization at all? And, and what brought that to mind, that analogy to mind, is you were talking about riding a bike. Have you ever seen the YouTube video, The Backwards Brain Bicycle? No, I've never seen that. What, what is it? What's it about? There is a YouTube video about uh, how to ride, uh, they call it the backwards brain bicycle, and it's, it's how neural pathways are formed and, and how we develop uh, muscle memory, which is kind of an overrated concept. Muscles don't really have memory, but but the way we, uh, the way we, we access certain uh, repetitive skills, uh, we, we have a, a, at least a neural pathway that, that tends to become uh, rather set in place but anyway this this inventor uh or this uh this guy invents a or takes a bicycle and modifies it uh and shows uh, and and the way it's modified is that the the forks and the handlebars uh the interface between the forks and the handlebars is, is totally backwards it does not work in the way that you were taught how a bicycle should steer now getting on it you or i would fall on our butts repeatedly we cannot ride this bicycle and it takes us quite a bit longer to learn how to ride it uh, according to to his study subjects than it does to take someone who has never ridden a bike and teach them how to do it so we have to work harder do they do to, it so someone who doesn't yeah, ride a bike do they yeah, do it 
Yeah, yeah. So we we have to work harder to overcome those neural pathways that we've set in place that show us that what we think is the right way to ride a bike. So the question then becomes, is the thing you're doing, whatever psychomotor skill it should it, it may be, is it really the right way? Um, somebody was... Uh, uh, in, in a podcast the other day, uh, in a tweet, this was uh, this was one of those uh, foam med um, uh, uh, hashtag tweets. Was the the sweep the tongue to the left uh, technique of of uh, laryngoscopy? Is it really better? Um, and and he posed some some excellent questions on why this is necessarily not not necessarily the best way to do things. Uh, and and a lot of people attacked him for that uh, because they never thought that there should be any other way. They never questioned that. And, and of course, the way you do it is the right way. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have any confidence in the skill. Um, but I've never been a proponent of that method. I've never gone in and swept the tongue to the left. And usually what I will try to do is go straight down and, uh, and go straight down the tongue until I get the, uh, the epiglottis and the vollecula in view. You know, by the same token, some people will, uh, I was taught that the tip of a Miller blade goes over the epiglottis and lifts it up. Uh, I know quite a few people that will go in and do exactly that, but then they will pull back and let the tip of that Miller blade nestle in the vollecula and use it very similar to a Macintosh blade. And it works better for them. So the question is, is, is you know, we spent all this time developing these psychomotor skills uh, and convincing ourselves that what we do is the right way when I think the more important thing is, is to have a repertoire uh, of, of skills that we can employ and, and developing the thought processes and how to apply those different skills uh, the, those different tricks in our bag and that sort of thing doesn't degrade as easily. Yeah. But I think uh, that, but just, and, and, and writ large, that would be a, a, a professional practices until he can't get it wrong. Right. Would you say Chris, that, that you insert an IV catheter exactly the same way on every patient in every environment? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. Right. Yeah. And neither do I. And, and I don't intubate the same person. Uh, I don't intubate the same way with but every I think, patient. I know but multiple I, techniques. And, and I think that is the key to, to kind of staving off skills degradation. If you only know one way, that that's a perishable thing. If you know multiple ways, and more importantly, the thinking process to to know when those ways are important, that doesn't degrade so easily. But see, now you're now, saying two different things, though. Now no, you're I'm saying, not. You are, because you're saying that it exists, but now you're saying if you have multiple ways of doing something, and I think that there are two different things. I do agree with you that, you know, somebody who's got, you know, you check a three, three, two on somebody, they're going to be a difficult into base, whatever it is, you've kind of developed skills to know that they're going to be anterior or where you've got to try. So that's knowledge. That's not really, uh, um, I don't really think that goes to skills degradation because you, you still know how to do the skill. You still know how to work that, uh, you still know how to work that blade and get that blade or the IV catheter. You still know how to do that. I think that, you know, when you think about the development of a psychomotor skill from the very beginning of imitation and all the way up to synthesis and analysis, I think one of the things that you're doing is now you're developing, now you're moving away from the norm and you're developing your style and you're modifying how you had uh, done that skill before. And again, we started the show off by saying, is it the same way that you start an IV today than you did when you were in uh, paramedic school? And you, of course, said no. But the thought is, is that as you, I, 
you know what? Maybe I am going to change my opinion because now, as I think as I think about it, as you grow different ways to manipulate the skill, does it give you more confidence? Maybe we're going back to that confidence mm-hmm. word to say anytime I'm in this situation, I'm going to be able to do it because I know that more than one. Maybe you are right. Maybe maybe I may have to change my opinion to think that uh, maybe that is the reason why. But so let me ask you this, Kelly. So. Maybe there's people out there that have the fear that their skills are deteriorating because of lack of use. What is it that those people can do? And and I like to hear your opinion. I've got a couple myself. What is it that those people can do to keep their skills sharp in the environment of not being able to do those skills? Well, first of all, let me let me rebut your your uh, assertion that I was uh, I was contradicting myself. I think I was answering your question early on uh, how we can get people to the point where their skills are not that degradable. And that was what the point I was trying to make. If you have a repertoire and if you've internalized the thought processes and how to apply that skill uh, and, and have multiple techniques and knowing how to do it, that sort of thing doesn't degrade as well as just knowing one way how to do things. Um, but I, I want to, in, in answer to your question, I want to read you a couple of little things and how, how we can get people to that point. Uh, one is from a... Wait a minute. Um, Are you going to read? Yes. Will you, yes. Will you do the voices? Will you do the voices? A, which which one would you like? Would you I like Elmer Fudd or I'm Marvin just, the Martian? I'm just asking, man. Go ahead. <laughs> um, this is from a couple of a uh, couple of presentations I do, but but they're about training, skills, repetition, and and um, and getting practiced at at, at certain skills. Uh, and one of these is from my airway continuum lecture, and and I use a quote from the security officer's use of force continuum. It says. Practical exercises will help reinforce the training and cause the reactions to become more appropriate rather than instinctual. Your lizard brain can, tends to take over. Now, it's in, a, uh, uh, in a crisis situation, fear and adrenaline have a way of accelerating the force continuum, and practice and ongoing training exercises will ease the effect of stress and make the safe outcome more predictable. Practice, practice, practice until your thought processes are at the forefront, not your lizard brain instinctual reactions. Um, and another one that I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you here is, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, critical thinking, critical thinking. Uh, and this is a quote from allsthink.org is critical thinking is the skillful application of a repertoire of validated general techniques for deciding the level of confidence you should have in a proposition in the light of the available evidence. Now, this is about cognitive, uh, your cognitive domain, but it also has applications to the psychomotor domain. If you have uh, if you have multiple techniques for doing things, uh, you know more than one way to skin a cat, um, then then the thought processes um, tend to remain long after uh, uh, long, or the thought process tend to remain longer than than the application of just one of those techniques. Uh, I, at this point in my career, intubate far fewer people than I ever have at any point in my career. Uh, I would not hesitate to say that right now I am more skilled in endotracheal intubation and airway management, broader airway management than I've ever been in my career. Um, even though I get fewer opportunities to do it because I'm thinking more about it, uh, and I don't get rushed and hurried. And I know I have the confidence in knowing that if one skill doesn't, one technique doesn't work, 
I've got multiple other tricks in the bag that I can employ. Uh, I'm rarely defeated by a difficult airway. Uh, whereas before I would just try to muscle through and use the, the one or two techniques that I knew and, uh, not try to think smarter, just work harder at it. Um, I think uh, as we grow uh, as practitioners, uh, we, we shift more toward the thinking smarter uh, than the working harder, and we find that that works better, uh, and, and it's not as prone to, uh, to degradation. You know, you, you talk about, you said earlier that, that you could probably intubate somebody right now, but when's the last time you looked at a 12-lead EKG, um, and, uh, and, and, do you think you could look at one right now, one that's got a, got some difficult, uh, or some, some nuance to it, uh, not just simple STEMI recognition, but do you think you could look at one today and be as confident in your interpretation as you were in your, in your heyday when you were looking at 12 lead EKGs every day, multiple times a shift? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I actually, you know, when's the last time I did it was actually this morning as I was going through the 12 lead book, as I'm working on a, a critical care course and um you're going back and reminding yourselves of those things and refreshing those thought processes well i'm i'm but i'm doing it as an educator so i'm i'm trying to figure out the best way to teach those advanced blocks you know the hemi blocks the you know internodal i mean so i'm trying to figure out the best way and the easiest way to teach those hard subjects to the people that are going to be coming to that class so and that is that is a perfect example of my of my or that is a perfect illustration of my example that the thought processes are the things that are most important uh, and will serve you longer. Um, but because as an educator, you got you got to know several ways to do it. Uh, you got to know the why behind it, and so on and so forth. Whereas as a practitioner, you tend to just adopt the way that works best for you. Yeah, and, and ignore everything else. Um, you, you find your comfort zone, and you never get out of it. Uh, the nurse anesthetist that taught me, uh, that did most of my, my precepting, uh, in my clinical rotations as a paramedic asked me the very first day, so what's your favorite blade? And I said, a Mac three, I can fall down a flight of stairs and intubate five people on the way down with a Mac three. And he said, man, I like you. I like a Mac three too. So for the next couple of weeks, you're going to use a Miller <laughs> and, and he made me use a Miller blade and become proficient with it. And, and, and I, I can't thank uh, Mac Redmond enough for making me do that because yeah. I got good with, with something that was out of my comfort zone. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest tips we can add to people is, is get out of your comfort zone and, and learn new and different ways to do things. Uh, and don't be trapped by your own thinking. If there's only one way to, to accomplish a skill. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that I want to add as we get up there in time is you. I think one of the best ways to develop your psychomotor skills, and this may sound a little bit weird, and uh, maybe we need to debate it, I'm not sure, is to have a clear understanding of your cognitive knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've got to be able to do is we've got to be able to take the steps of the skill from our head and put it into our hands, right? I mean, it does mm-hmm. become, at some point, it does become second nature. But, you know, as you know, we talk about the 12 lead EKGs or airway management or intubation or rapid sequence intubation or, you know, doing a cricothyrotomy. It really does help when you read the procedures and you read different accounts and you read different books 
to have an understanding of what that means. When we're in paramedic school, we get overwhelmed because we're learning medical, we're learning cardiology, we're learning ACLS, we're learning trauma. And then when we leave, we don't go back to the books or a majority of people don't go back to the books and hone in specifically, make one week trauma week, make one week respiratory week, make one and read something every day that you're on shift. And increase your core knowledge and see what it does to your yeah. psychomotor skills. Yeah. You, you know, that that's it. In paramedic school, you're, you're drinking through a fire hose and you convince yourself that success is, is, is managing not to drown. Uh, and if you manage not to drown, you've done a good job, but you really haven't. You've just managed not to drown. Uh, you haven't hydrated yourself. You, ha- you haven't learned to drink through the fire hose. You just managed not to get killed while doing so. Um, and there's a lot more to learn and, and a lot more skill to develop. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. So what is the key to maintain, to acquiring and maintaining a skill even without a great deal of practice? We'd like to know what your thoughts are. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and rusty old paramedic Chris Evalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>